10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we are today, and I am really excited about having the opportunity to give backpacks to the students here, and if you're looking for an inexpensive backpack, let me just promote going down to Burlington Coat Factory, which is our neighbor of our new campus down on University Avenue. You can get a backpack for about $16 there, and it's a great way to bless them as they are blessing us, as we have more people that will be coming than we have parking spaces. They've graciously allowed us to use the east side of their parking lot, so a great partnership starting with that company. And, uh, you know, I am just really excited as we launch into the fall. My name is Robert. If you're new with us, it's an honor and happy joy to be the lead pastor here. And I'm so excited to see a lot of you college students starting to trickle back in, and they'll be back in full force September 13. You know, I've been meditating on, on where we're going in the fall with this thought. What if you went into work and you had a tyrannical, egotistical boss that everything was around them, and they just wanted to make life hard on everyone, but instead of getting crushed, you just prospered and you were promoted? Or what if you lived in a culture that was antagonistic to your faith, but instead of being swallowed up by enemies, you found that everyone was being transformed around you. And and this is what I believe God wants for us as believers. It's what we'll be studying from the Old Testament character, the great prophet Daniel. And that is the new series we'll be in starting September 13th. Get excited. Our series is all about living victoriously, and so be thinking about people that need some hope for their life, and I want you, church, to be praying with me as we go on this seven-week study journey starting September 13th. It's going to be really great. I'm really expectant for what God's going to do. Next week, before we launch into that series, I'm really honored to have one of my heroes of the faith, Floyd McClung come and speak to us. He is a, just a big papa. Uh, our training school students have just read The Father Heart of God, preparing for their year. He also read an incredibly exciting book called, uh, he wrote an incredibly exciting book called Living on the Devil's Doorstep, his journey across Afghanistan, through the streets of Amsterdam, working in the red light district. This man's been used by God powerfully. We're actually about to plant a church in South Africa pretty close to him, so we'll have a lot more interaction with him in the coming years. So really excited about next week as well as our back to school bash where we'll have all kinds of games and entertainment outside for the kids. So come next week with expectancy for what God's going to do. I want you to pray with me right now as we conclude our series called Heart for the House as we've been marching through the book of 2 Corinthians. So just bow your heads with me as we seek the Lord for his favor on this time of scripture. Lord, we love your word. And your word is life, and your word is joy, and it's sustenance to our very beings. We're praying for illumined minds. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to pour out on us. And I pray that none of us would leave in the same state that we came into this place. But we would go, as your scripture says, from glory to glory. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 12. If you'd read with me, starting in verse 12, it says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We're not going too far in our boasting, 
as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work that's already been done by someone else in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one who the Lord commends. This word classify, he says we do not dare classify ourselves. Anybody remember high school biology? Any biology fans out there? You're crazy. I, uh, I was not given a scientific mind. I'm very thankful for scientists. In fact, our new executive director just came from years in the science field. He's a PhD in science. I am so thankful, but my mind does not work that way. And in biology, one of the harder things for me was the couple months we spent on classification. You remember that whole thing, that kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species? I think that's something like it, like it is. That was so challenging for me. To put everything in its little kingdom and its phylum and its class and its order and its family, genus, species, and, and trying to know what that was and all these weird words. And I'm thinking, I will never use this. I will never call a bear like a phylactomide generositiousness. You know, it, what are those words for? But, but classification is something that we all do as humans. And I mean, it starts way beyond or way before we ever get to, to biology class in high school. Think about it. You take your little kid, and you got little Johnny, and you say, little Johnny, put all of these objects in, in their classes, in their order, and so we say, okay, here are all the triangles, and little Johnny takes all the triangles. Okay, little Sally, now, what color does not go, and everything's red, and then there's one yellow, and you're like, that doesn't go. No, put all the red things in their class. We teach people to classify things. Now, the problem is we start classifying people. We can, we can tend to classify each other. And, and I think the reason we do this is that it, it just makes us, makes us comfortable. I, it, it helps us to classify things in one, in one regard. You know, you, you taught little kids how to put all the same looking objects together. You know, in, in some ways, this really works out in life. Can you bring me my uh, sock drawer, Mark? This is my awesome assistant, Mark, bringing me my actual sock drawer, thank you so much. This is my actual sock drawer. I know you're thinking, man, you're a brave man to show your sock drawer. Here is my sock drawer, and, and I'm kind of an organized guy. Don't worry, I'm not a hyper-organized guy. But in my sock drawer, what goes in a sock drawer? There you go. So here's some socks. Here's some athletic socks. That's kind of embarrassing. They have major holes in them. Here are some dress socks, different socks. Now, what I don't like is when other things get in my sock drawer. I'm, I'm proud of my kids. They're learning to do laundry. They're learning to put things away. But what happens is I open my sock drawer, and this morning, in fact, to bring you my sock drawer and to show you how good it is to have an ordered sock drawer, I had to pull out other things. I had to pull out pajama pants. I, I pulled out bicycle shorts. Like, that's embarrassing that I even have bicycle shorts. Right, those kind of spandex, right? And I, I, I pulled out some, some thermal underwear. You don't need thermal underwear in San Diego, but I had some thermal underwear. I was kind of pulling out all different types of things. What I want in a sock drawer 
is I want socks and a sock drawer, nothing else. I love having socks and a sock drawer. Here's some socks right there. Catch me. Uh, here's one lone sock. Don't you hate the lone sock phenomenon? Does that happen to you in life? The lone sock. And I always get a hole right here. That is such a bummer. And then my wife goes and throws away my socks with a hole in them. And I'm like, I don't have my brown socks. She's like, there's a hole in them. I'm like, but I needed my brown socks. You know, it's, it's the struggle of a pastor. And uh, anyway, I want, I want socks in my sock drawer. I don't want other things in my sock drawer. I just, just suck. But the, the problem is, is we start doing this with people. And, and, and so where we just want socks, we start looking at people and we're like, hey, you don't fit in the sock drawer. You don't look like a sock. And so all you, all, all you underwear people, you belong in this drawer. You don't belong. I don't want underwear in my sock drawer. And so we start classifying people, right? You're like, you're underwear people and I'm a sock person. And so I'm in here, and you're a t-shirt person, right? And I hate it when someone puts a collared shirt in my t-shirt drawer. Like, big pet peeve of mine. No collared shirts in my t-shirt drawer. We start classifying people. And, and it, for some reason, it makes us feel good to walk in and we kind of size up a room. Because then we start going, okay, where do I fit? Because it feels good, right? If we're just to be really honest, I know this is church. Can we be really honest for a minute? Doesn't it feel good to fit? Hello? Okay. So have you ever not fit before? I, um, I had just gotten married to Stephanie. <clears throat> I am from, from Texas originally, I'm from the south, and she is from the north. So we had like this gone with the wind thing going on, this merger of the north and the south. And so right after we got married, she was invited to be a bridesmaid in this northern suburb of Chicago. And so we got the invitation. She never showed me the invitation. That's going to be very important here in a minute. She never showed me the invitation. She just got the invitation. And so we're packing up, and, and we're just married, and this is going to be my chance to meet a lot of her, her people, right? Like, we lived down in Texas at the time with my people. We're going to meet her people. So you want to make a good impression with her people, right? And so I asked Steph, so what is the dress for this wedding? Like, what's the dress code? Because I'm a person that doesn't like to be underdressed. I don't know about you, but my mom always taught me, always overdress. You can always, like, peel off a jacket, undo a tie, but you can't make up for being underdressed. I like being overdressed, people. So I asked Steph, so what do I wear to this wedding? She said, wear something nice. Okay. Now, have you, anyone been to a wedding here in California? Anybody been to a, a wedding here in SoCal? They're pretty casual, right? I mean, I went to a wedding two weekends ago. Half the people had shorts on at this wedding. Okay, and that might be, you know, that might be kind of an extreme case, but you put on slacks and a button-down shirt, even if it's short sleeve, you're dressed to the nines in California, right? Same, same thing, I was in Texas, we're at a university town, it was pretty informal culture, so if you wanted to really get dressed up, you put a coat on. If you put a tie on, people were like, step back, he's here to play, right? So I thought, I will get dressed nice. So I went in my closet. I get about the nicest thing I have. I get some khaki pants. I'm not going to wear jeans to, the, to, to meet all Stephanie's people. I'm going to put slacks on, khaki slacks. I get a button-down shirt, you know, kind of like a plaid shirt. And, and I, get a, I get a navy blazer. I even grab a tie. I am there to play. I show up at this wedding. We walk into this very, like, beautiful, austere, white chapel, and I'm looking around at all these men, and I'm going, I have never seen so many groomsmen in my life. Like, they all have tuxedos. Like, that is so cool. There's like an 80-year-old groomsman walking in. 
because he had this tuxedo. And then I'm like, and there's 20-year-olds and there's 50-year-olds. Like, there are more groomsmen in this wedding than I've ever seen. Everybody in their tuxedo. That is so cool. And then I'm looking around, and no one is dressed like me. And so I go over to Stephanie's mother, and I go, um, Jeannie, what, what was the dress code for this? And she goes, oh, Robert, it was a black tie affair. Oh, my stomach was like, ooh. I'm thinking, Mama always told me. Mama said there'll be days like this. And my stomach, my stomach is just like drilling. And, and so I, I'm like, I try to hide in the back. You know, I'm kind of like, you know, sitting in the back. And then we drive to the reception, and it's at the Exmoor Country Club, and the columns are like bigger than my state, and I pull up, and you know, the, the, the doormen are like, yes, welcome to the Exmoor, you know, and, and I'm walking out, and you want to make a good impression to your wife's people, and people would come up to me in their little tuxedos, and their little northern suburb, you know, uh, sophisticated conversational ways, and I don't think I have an accent in life, but that day I was like, hey, I'm Robert, <laughs> how are you doing? I, I was like, what, what are you talking like? Like, I felt like the country bumpy, like the clampets just pulled in, you know, and, <clears throat> and, I, and I'm still like, you know, when you don't fit in, you look for the misfits to stand with them, so I am scanning the crowd to go like, who else is dressed like me? Who else has khakis and a blue blazer on? And I look and I find them. It's a four-year-old kid. The only person not dressed in a black suit is a four-year-old kid who I'm sure his nanny, like, had to take the night off. And so they just, like, dragged little Johnny there. It was so embarrassing. I do not like not fitting in. And I, I think that's why Paul just goes straight to the heart of the matter here and says this in verse 12. We do not dare. Say, we do not dare. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, this is a trap. Don't get in the comparison trap. There is no point in comparing yourself with other people. That's not what we do as the people of God. Don't compare yourselves among yourselves. It's not going to work. That is not what we are called to do because we, we, we do this all the time, don't we? We come in and we classify ourselves. We're like, Okay, I'm a southerner, I'm a northerner, I'm a west coast, I'm an I'm a east coast. We're, we're always trying to explain our identity through classifications. I'm this color, I'm this race, I have, I, I, I'm lower class, I'm upper class, I'm working class. We, we, we have all these, I'm, I'm educated, I, I, I'm a high school dropout, I'm a PhD. We classify ourselves. Then we walk around and we stand in a group and we start comparing ourselves. Well, I'm taller than you. Well, but I'm shorter than you. Well, I'm heavier than you, but I'm thinner than you. Well, I have more money than you. Well, I have less money than you. And, and we're always trying to derive our identity and see how we feel about ourselves and see how we feel about others through their classification and their comparison. So what Paul goes on to say is this. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. They are not wise. When you're walking around, you're going to be tempted to do it the second you stand up. You might be doing it right now. You might be looking at your neighbor and going, I wonder how he's listening to this message right now oh, on comparison. Right? You're comparison, comparing yourself in a message on comparison. Some of you are comparing me on how I'm preaching my message on comparison with the last pastor you heard preach on comparison. Cut it out. It says you are not wise. When you do that, but let's look at this next verse. We, however, verse 13, 
will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. Now drawers, I was talking about this sock drawer right here and how everything's the same and how I just want socks in my sock drawer and how I classify my sock drawer. But I do want to tell you that I also have another type of drawer in my house and I actually really like this drawer because it's totally different than my sock drawer and it's to the right side of my kitchen sink and it's called my catch-all drawer. Can you bring out my catch-all drawer, Mark? Ladies and gentlemen, give him another hand to Mark as he brings my catch-all drawer out. This, my catch-all drawer, thank you very much. Can I hand you my sock drawer? No, no, I'll keep it. No, actually, just put it on the ground for me. All right, my catch-all drawer, if you notice, is very different. I have, let's just look at this. I got a box of, a box of matches right here. I've got a carabiner slash flashlight right here. I have a clothespin saline solution. Ooh, a nice egg of lip balm. I love lip balm. I've got some markers. Look, I've got a calculator. Hey, I, I didn't adjust any of this. I know you're thinking this is amazing catch-all drawer. I didn't do anything about this, guys. Like, this, I, this is straight from home. I know you're impressed. Guitar tuner. Little dart that you put a cap in that explodes when it hits the ground. Thank you. Okay. Kleenex, see if there's anything else in here that's really... A micro Sharpie eraser. Okay, now, now here, here is the question. What, what, is, what is more important, a guitar tuner or a calculator? Yes, you got it right. Neither is more important. Yeah, what, what does a match and a Sharpie have in common? Nothing. Here's the only thing they have in common. They both are useful to their master. Selah. They are both useful to their master. Here's what I love about the catch-all drawer. The tissue doesn't need to say, well, I'm so insignificant because I'm not as powerful as the blue foot safety pin or whatever this is called. No, it, they're all important to doing the work of the master. I want to tell you, this is not what a church should be like. This is what a church should be like. This right here is not the kind of church I want to be. Well, you're not a sock, so get out of here, right? No, this right here is what the church of God should be. Paul says this. He says, we're not going to confine ourselves to boasting about these things. Instead, we're going to talk about the sphere that God has called us to, that God has assigned us to. Here's what I wanted to say, folks. I get so discouraged when I start comparing myself with other people. Like, there's, there's two things that happen when I compare myself. Either one, I feel inadequate, so I start sinking, or I, 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 I look at someone and I think, oh, yeah, I've actually got it a little better. And so I start getting smugly prideful. Right? Th those are the two options when we compare ourselves. We sink because we feel inadequate, or we get smug and prideful because we feel better than. I mean, isn't, isn't it embarrassing how we're like that? I mean, I can just do it. Let me just, let me just continue to be vulnerable here for a second. 
as a, as a teenager, I was really into cars. And so I remember going to high school and not having a car and thinking, man, someday I'm going to be like those seniors who have a car and they get their car and they drive around. There was this movie that came out called License to Drive when I was in high school. And I'm like, oh, that is the epitome of coolness is when you have a license to drive and you have your own car. So I don't know about you. I, I, I started working. I started saving. I started dreaming about the car I got. I, I would get. And I saved up. And my first car, I bought this baby blue BMW. Woo! I thought I was awesome. The problem is it was 1992 and that car was made in 74 and had a couple hundred. testing. All right. So I get this baby blue BMW. I'm thinking I'm bad, except it had 200,000 miles on it and would die continually. So then I thought I wasn't bad. Okay. But I, I was basing my identity. So I, I'm feeling better because I have a car. And then I got to go a little longer. A couple years later, I bought a T-top white Camaro. Ooh, I don't know if you remember T-tops. But I could pull those T-tops off. Back then I had hair. And I'd slick back my long bleach blonde hair. Can you see me with it now? <laughs> That's how I'm going to look in heaven. And <clears throat> I, remember, I remember the day I'm driving out of my high school listening to this song. This must be just like living in paradise. And I'm like, I'm driving out. You know, my hair's like blowing in the wind. And I see these girls next to me. I'm like, eh, eh. I honk. And what I don't realize is the traffic stops in front of me, and I go, boom, right into the car in front of me. You know, there's problems when we put our identity in our outward appearance. But I, I went from the Camaro, then I graduated to the Dodge Stealth. I don't know if anyone knew a Dodge Stealth. It was like the Batmobile. And so I had this, and I remember my senior year in high school looking around at all the other kids and thinking, I have the baddest car in the school. And I thought I was the stuff. Now, this is just absurd because I went from, I went from not having a car feeling like I, I, I didn't measure up to now I have the nicest car and now I think I'm so awesome. Why? Because there's a, a piece of steel wrapped around me with four little rubber wheels on it. I mean, it's just absurd what we put our identity into, right? So then God starts getting a hold of my heart in college. And I remember I would go and I'd travel around to different youth groups and I would speak to different youth groups and I'd be like, your identity should be rooted in Jesus. It doesn't matter your outside appearance, your outward experience, uh, ex uh, your outward appearance is irrelevant. And then I'd walk away and get in my Dodge Stealth Batmobile, roll down the windows half down and be like, eh! and pull off. And I remember doing that one day and I was like, you're a hypocrite. You say it doesn't matter and then you think you're Batman. And so God convicted me, it's time to sell your car. And I went, okay, I'll sell my car. And so I, I went from there and I bought a modest SUV. And I'm driving this modest SUV and I'm like, okay, I, I still feel decent about myself. Okay, and then I marry Stephanie. And Stephanie, although she grew up in, in, in this prestigious northern Chicago suburb, she had a car curse on her life. And so she drove what was called the brown bomb. Okay, where she had to actually climb through the windows, bless her heart, of the brown bomb. And so I inherit the brown bomb, okay? And, and then I, I, so I end up in a very poor car, and, and it's a struggle, and it's a fight, because I put her in the nice SUV, because I'm that kind of husband, right? So I, I put her, until God says, I want you to go on this mission trip, and I didn't have money, so I had to sell my car, and now I am carless. 
So I went from having the coolest car to being carless, and at that point, our dear executive pastor, Kendall Laughlin, he was a high school, I mean, he was a college student at the time, and his mother had given him an electric scooter to ride from class to class on campus. And Kendall felt bad for me not having a car. Now the problem is Kendall had wrecked his electric scooter. I don't know how you do that, but Kendall... (laughs) So the steering column was broken, so it drove like this. So Kendall, feeling bad for me, says, here is my electric scooter. I want you to have it, because I, I, I was having to walk everywhere. So I'm like, thank you so much. It's a bad day when you were so thankful for an electric scooter with a broken steering wheel. I am driving to work on this electric scooter. And the horn would go like, ee, ee, and everyone would laugh at me everywhere I went. But you know, it was a great test to have gone from the Batmobile to the electric broken scooter. Because is my identity in what I drive, or is my identity in who I am in God, and what sphere he has called me to reach? Let me just ask you, is there anything in your outward appearance that couldn't be taken away, and you still feel good about who you are? Is there any clothing, is there any car, is there any house, is there any job that you use to make yourself feel good that puts you in a certain classification that lets you compare yourself to others and then you feel good about life? Because if there is, you are not living a New Testament Christianity. Let's go on here. This is what scripture goes on to say. We, however will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned us to, a sphere that also includes you. When you look at that Greek word for boasting, it's kauxomai, kauxomai, which means to glory in. You know, we think, well, I shouldn't boast anyway. No, there is a healthy type of boasting, 1 Corinthians 11. It's like, it's what in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, the glory of a man is his wife, or the glory of a man is a woman. All right, let me just tell you this. I boast in, I take glory in my wife, Stephanie. If you don't know who she is, she's the beautiful woman who got up here and, and prayed and then sent out the kids in a majestic way. That is... That is my wife. And I always want people to meet my wife and to know my wife because you might look at me and think that guy's a joker. And then you see my wife and you're like, oh, he must have something going for him. Like, like no, there's probably something deep down inside there because no one like her would be like him if he wasn't awesome. <laughs> so I, I love, I glory in my wife. I want you to see my wife. Like, I love it when I'm talking to a group of guys and my wife walks through and I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, mine, uh-huh, <laughs> yep. That is what it means to glory in, to to coxomai. We glory in. He's saying, I'm not glorying in my outward appearance. I'm not glorying in my classification. I'm not glorifying and comparing myself, but I do glory in the sphere that God has called me to. Let me explain it this way. I was leading this luncheon this week. We have this incredible phenomenon going on in our city of ministers uniting. So we were gathered with the different campus ministers and some different pastors that are set on reaching San Diego State. There were 20 plus of us in the room. The Rock Church was represented, the Flood Church, uh, Faith Presbyterian, Catholic Church, InterVarsity, Crew, Challenge, uh, uh, Young Life, all these different groups are sitting in there. And so I pull up this verse. And I say, guys, when we come in, 
You know, we're, we're just human. And so it's so natural for us to compare ourselves with each other and to classify ourselves, you know, like, well, 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 we're the discipleship church, or, or, or we're the big church, but, but, but we're not as big as you, you know, or, or, or we're, we're the spirit-filled church, but we don't swing from the chandeliers like you guys do, you know. We're always trying to classify and compare. And I said, now, now Paul tells us don't do that. Instead, instead of boasting and being the most spirit-filled or, or the biggest or the most evangelistic, what does he say to boast in? He says, boast in the sphere that God has called you to. And I said, guys, I don't know about you, but whenever I go around, I take pride in, I boast in that God has called me to San Diego. God has called me to this region. This is a ripe region. Like people are hungry in this region. And I am so proud to be called to this sphere. Do you know that if you are a Christian, which means little Christ, that it means that you are called to do what Jesus did. And if you're a Christian in San Diego, that means San Diego is your sphere, so you're supposed to be a little Christ to San Diego. So you are called to this sphere, or for our Tijuana campus, they're called to Tijuana, or to our Bangkok campus, they're called to Bangkok. You are called to this sphere. So it's not just the city, then God has appointed you. God has appointed you to go to your school. God has appointed you to go to your business. God has called you and appointed you to a sphere in your neighborhood, and God wants to use you. And so you can have a glory in feeling inside of you that not only were you saved, but that the living God has called you to represent him in your sphere. What a privilege. Are you following me? Like, if you walk out of here and you're like, once again, I'm, you're walking out and you're looking at what you're wearing and, and you're thinking about your outward appearance, then you've missed it. But if you walk out saying, watch out San Diego, here I come, then you've got it. If you say, you know what, I am proud, for you high school students, I am proud to be called to Crawford High School to reach the sphere and to see transformation, then you got it. If you're called to all of a sudden see, hey, I'm not just going to this job to make some money to put some food on my table just to survive, but you're like, God has appointed me to be a special agent to this spirit, then you got it. Look what it goes on to say. It says this, a sphere that also includes you. I, I, I want to take a moment to just say, that each person is so important to God. And God has called us to have a harvest in this city of individuals. I've been, I've been praying this prayer. God's been putting this prayer on my heart lately, and I want to introduce you to praying it with me. And the first, the first component, I'm calling it the harvest prayer. Can you just say harvest prayer? The first component is, Lord, connect us to the harvest. Do you know that there are people in this city that are hopeless, that are broken, that are hurting, and they desperately need to be brought into the kingdom of God? And so I'm asking God to position me in a place where people who need to hear about Jesus can hear. I, I, my father-in-law was talking beforehand, and he said that they were about to go out of town, and there was a person stopped on the side of the road, and he stops to help them, and as he's helping them, he just looks at them and, and says, hey, do you know where you're going? The guy's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to get here. He goes, no, do you know where you're going when you die? And he just brought up the gospel, shares it with the guy, and right there, the guy gives his life to Jesus. 
I wonder how many people are ready to give their life to Jesus today if someone would just be connected with them. I want us to start praying as a church, God, connect our church to a great harvest. I'm not even saying let's pray for a harvest because the Bible already says that the harvest is plentiful. Do you know that? The Bible actually doesn't teach us to pray for a harvest. Now, if you want to pray for a harvest, go on. I'm not telling you not to. But I'm just telling you, Jesus never said pray for the harvest. He said, look up. The fields are white for harvest now. So what I'm praying is God would connect our church to a harvest. And that's what he's been doing from the very beginning. But I want to ask you, would you start praying this prayer in your work, in your business, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your family? God, connect me to the harvest. Because it says this, that sphere includes you. And I, I want to tell you, one of the things that you're going to glory in is you're going to glory in the people that get changed through your life. There's just this glory. There's just this boasting. Uh, let me give you an example. We've got this new property. This, we're leasing this new University Avenue property, and we've been doing a renovation project on it. And it's right next door to our offices. So every day I love going over and checking on the progress. And I'm going in, and I'm seeing different guys working in it. And they're all guys whose lives have been impacted by our church. I go in and see Christian, and I go, I remember when Christian was a gangster, and he wasn't a believer. And now he's saved, he's discipled, he's sharing the gospel, and he's working building this church. Oh, that just makes me glory. And, and, and then I looked at Jeremiah, and I'm like, I remember when Jeremiah would just say his life was in the ditch, and now he's employed, and now he's bringing his sons to church every week, and now I, I just look at him, and he had this joy in that room, and I'm going, man, I've got glory. There, there is a boasting of, you see my boys right here? Remember Willie, I remember when Willie came, he was this young guy, he's gotten discipled, now he's burning with a heart for Russia. He went over there and he just kicked some tail over in Russia, not Russian tail, demon tail in Russia. Our pastor in Russia was like, hey, send him back to me. You know what? That makes me proud. That's a good pride. I was thinking about Austin Shiway. He was a believer when he came in. He's this great artist and now he was using his artistic ability. You guys are going to see the backdrop and go, oh, that is beautiful. Because he's using his artistic ability, and I'm thinking about the guys he's discipling in the, in the night training school, and I am proud. My boasting is in them. I'm like, look at what God has done, and I want that for you. I want you to walk around your work, and you're like, ah, my boy, my little brother in the faith, my sister in the faith, my child in the faith. Look at what God has done in them. I, you, 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 you never get upset when a parent's like, I'm so proud of my kid. You're not like, you egotistical no, what you don't like is the parent that's always like, you can't do enough, you, you're not good enough, oh, my kid, is, my kid stinks. No, there is a holy, there, there's a holy aspect of a, of a parent who just sits back and they're like, that's my boy. <laughs> that's, that's how God wants you to be in your sphere. He wants you to have fruit in your sphere and to have this, this, this pride, this glory in. Verse 14, we are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you as the gospel of Christ, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done for others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond. Listen, look at what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, I want these things to expand. Now, I, I just want to tell you, sometimes Christians don't like it when the work of their church expands. They're like, wait, I, I don't know everyone anymore. Like, I, 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 wait, who am I going to step by? Like, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable for us when our work is expanding. 
wait, 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 I, I didn't have a parking space today. Like, that was my parking space, like third from the right. Like, you should know that. Or this is my seat. And so sometimes we don't like it because there's new people, right? But, but, but God is saying, Paul is saying, no, we want things to expand. You know that it's not always comfortable when you expand? Like, ask a pregnant woman. Like, she's not like, oh, it feels so good. She's like, Argh! her stomach is stretching, right? And it doesn't always feel good when you're birthing new things, right? Ah! Right, like it hurts to birth new things. You don't feel like you can handle it. But Paul is saying this is how we are. And in fact, just look at this. Let's just, we're going to finish, kind of come to a conclusion here. Paul gives these sequential steps for advancing the kingdom. Number one, he says the gospel went as far as you. Number one, we share the gospel, Okay. Number two, our faith grows. Number three, the sphere of activity expands among you. And number four, the gospel and the regions around start being reached. So let me just ask you, as we're wrapping up our time today, where are you in the journey? Where are you in this journey? Number one, you might need to receive the gospel. There's some people, every, every week, there's people that need to receive the gospel. There's people who have not received the gospel, yet you, you have never invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You still think by your own works you're going to get to heaven. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die and spend eternity in hell separated from God. But that's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay for our sins. And then he rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death. He wants to give you a new life. And for some of us, the starting point today is receiving Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. Amen. But some others of us, it's time to grow. That second point was growing. Your faith grows. And for some of you, you're coming in, it's a new fall, and you want, you so long to say, I want to grow in my faith. I don't want to be a casual Christian anymore. I don't want to ride the fence anymore. I don't want to be lukewarm. Then jump in and start growing. Jump into a life group as they start next week. Meet us in that, in, 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 the, in the guest cafe, and we'll point you to a life group. Jump into serving. There's an opportunity for you to be a stakeholder. Start serving. Become faithful to coming every week to be with your team. I'm a soccer coach. I play the kids who come to practice every week. That's how you grow in your faith. Get faithful. Start spending daily time with God. It's not hard. It's not complex. Just commit to the simple values of the kingdom. Number three, you might be a person who said, you know what? I gave my life to Christ. You know, I, I've grown in my faith, but I'm not seeing a lot of fruit around me. I don't, I'm not boasting in a lot of people around me. No, no one in my work's been changed. No one in my school's been changed. Then it's time for the sphere of activity to expand among you. We got something for you. We got a discipleship book that you can start going through with someone. We've got a discipleship app. Open that up. We've got outreaches during the week that you can go on. You can go on our Night Strike Evangelism. You can go down to our, our Tijuana Orphan Outreach. You can reach out to the refugee community. You can reach out to Crawford High School. We have all these outreaches. We have our share ministry that meets once a month. What do you need to do? Do you need to receive Christ? Do you need to grow in your faith? Do you need the sphere of activity to expand? And then he says this, because we want the gospel to expand even to regions beyond. That's why we're planting churches. That's why we're, we're meeting in Tijuana this evening. That's why we're meeting in Bangkok. 
as a life group this week. That's why we're going to go to South Africa in 10 months. We're, we're constantly expanding. There's some of you in here that are called to expand the church outside of our region and to take it to other regions. Jump into our church planting school. Go on an overseas trip this summer. Jump in with us on a long-term team. God wants to expand his kingdom. So let me read this last verse to conclude our time. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. You know, at the end of the day, we're just a bunch of little kids looking to a great almighty God. And when you fix your eyes on him and you boast in him, then you're boasting in the right thing. And he wants to use us to expand his kingdom around the world. Why don't you stand up? Stand up if you close your eyes with me. And when you just ask the Lord, maybe it's one of those four categories, Lord, where am I today and how can I respond to take the next step in my journey of faith? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it changes our lives. And I pray that even now as we pray, that you would be speaking to people about the next step for them. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, just right now, I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know that you're going to heaven when you die, if you don't know that he's living in your heart, I just want to give you an opportunity to pray with me right now.